What's up, sons and daughters? Welcome back. It is week one with the Locks of Saturday. I'm here with the entire crew, Brett, Robert, Mike, Ed, Chris. Guys, it is football season. It is here. We are mere days away, less than 48 hours away from major college football kicking off in week one. How are we feeling? I hope people took my advice on Nebraska under six because they look absolutely awful. Yeah, that doesn't count as major college football. That was abysmal, but you you called it. You locked it in. Try and we'll just we'll just ignore the uh Yukon plus twenty seven and a half. Yeah, it uh, yeah, it evens out after that. Sam, I'm never listening to you again, dude. Hey, I, call. Don't I bet on a freaking I bet on a freaking dead dog is what I did. That's what happened there. <laughs> I will not apologize. Dog. It was 105 <laughs> degrees. Their cleats were melting. If anything, they honored Jonathan the Husky too much. Um, I also felt kind of bad. My West Coast game of the week was Hawaii UCLA for the over 54 total points heading into the fourth quarter. No points scored in the fourth quarter. That was a bit of a that was a bit of a heartbreak. But we're coming back next week. Stay tuned on Twitter for that. But we got some bigger games to talk about, and well, actually, speaking of the Bruins, we'll we'll hop right into it with the Bruins. That'll be our first game. But before we get to that, thank you so much for all the Twitter interactions we had on our listener game of the week. We will be covering West Virginia minus three and a half at Maryland. Should be an interesting game up there in the spring gate spring break capital of the Northeast, College Park, Maryland. Also, uh, stay tuned. I will on- never, ever, 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 ever understand that. I will never understand it, and I don't think he will ever explain it. It doesn't make any sense. Rothstein with that one, I will never understand. Yeah, I think that is part of the joke. Um, if you've ever been to College Park, Maryland, it's not really nice at all, unless you're Irby, who loves the state of Maryland. Just Oreo Park at Camden Yards. <laughs> Just the uh, the French fries with crab dips smothered all over them. It's heavenly. I can get behind that. <laughs> well, uh, Irby will have an article up on sunsaturday.com that'll kind of have a little bit more graphics based, just kind of round up uh, the whole podcast and like where we're looking throughout the season. We'll have our scoreboard up there where we're looking for for next week as well. Guys, are we ready to kick it off? We are going to kick it off on Fox at 8.30 p.m. from the Rose Bowl, LSU, Minus two and a half at UCLA. This is the first time that these two football teams have ever matched up. Could possibly be the best uniform game that you could come up with in college football. Uh, Definitely a classic one. Chris, where are you leaning on this? A lot of people love UCLA right here. And a lot of people are wrong. All right. So I'm going to lead it off here. So I like LSU in this, not as much as LSU, excuse me, uh, Irby's love for LSU as a a dark horse title contender for the college football playoff. But uh, this was a game I looked a little deeper at this week. And uh, to me, it kind of starts with uh, one major factor, and that is UCLA defense is awful. All right. So they looked good week one against Hawaii, but that is Hawaii, and this is a whole different story. So I'll kick it off and basically say this game is all about the defensive coordinator, Jerry Azanaro. If you've never heard of him, that's probably the reason for that because he's not very good at his job. Um, so this is year four for him, and he's always been with Chip Kelly kind of tied to the hip. I have no idea. This isn't necessarily something where it was a meritocracy. He's just kind of seems to be buddies with him because 
He's been with them since his Oregon days, including stints in the NFL with Philly and San Francisco. And now he's the coordinator. And um, if you look at 18 to 20, his defenses have ranked 102, 113th, and 69th. And just to show that in yards, that's 440.9 yards per game, 456.3 yards per game, and 409.9 yards per game. So even that improvement to 69th overall has some context, and that's because there was a lot of bad football played last season. Um, so the question is, is how does UCLA beat an extremely flawed, at least on the defensive side of the football, UCLA team? Um, and I think a lot of people are skewed in their perception of LSU at the moment because of how last year went. So uh, just so everybody can remember about how awful their season was, just remind you that they lost 14 picks to the NFL draft. They lost uh, Jamar Chase and Derek Stingley and a couple other players, but those two most notably as opt-outs. And then if you add in all the transfers and opt-outs and dismissals they've had for the program, they had 34 less players from their 2019 championship team. That's 34 players out of an 85-man roster. So uh, going into last season, including no offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, or passing game coordinator, their team was essentially eviscerated right before the season started. Um, And with that, they still managed to go 500 in the SEC to include two late season wins consecutive against Florida and Ole Miss, a little bit of continuity coming back together over the offseason. This is LSU. They reload. They will reload. Last year was just an, uh, an aberration, um, almost as 2019 was the perfect season. 2020 was an absolute disaster for them. And I don't expect that to be the case this year. Um, LSU goes into this game. And this is a week one overreaction to UCLA looking good. Classic case. Uh, we see it every single year. Um, but two and a half points is almost a slap in the face to LSU in this matchup. I have no reason to believe UCLA will even be on the same, like be able to keep it close. Uh, I love LSU to throttle UCLA in this game. And Sam, ring me up. This is a lock. First lock of the night here this week. So uh, Coming in hot. Give me LSU minus two and a half easy money this week. Cha-ching. As Irby would say. Oh, Chris, I'm, I'll hop in here because I'm going to zag already. I really like UCLA here for a couple reasons. Was maybe I bought into the hype last week. Yeah, they played Hawaii, but Hawaii's not a bad football team. They're probably one of the better teams out in the G5 in the West Coast right now. Not one of the better programs. But, I mean, they, if you watch that game, they just looked like – a nostalgic Chip Kelly team to me. They actually looked like tough. They didn't seem very like soft like UCLA has been in the last, you know, five or six years. So I don't know. I just really like UCLA here. Uh, just a couple stats. UCLA is five and two in their last uh, five and two in their last seven against the spread. Uh, they're five and one in the last six against SEC schools. I mean, if people are going to say they can't compete with the SEC, I mean, the stats right here beg to differ. Uh, when it comes to LSU, I mean, they obviously don't have Miles Brennan. He won't be back till the beginning of the uh, middle of the year at best. Max Johnson is okay. Um, yeah, they had two consecutive wins, like Chris said last year, but that was thanks to a shoe thrown that would get that gave them a win uh, and a chance against Florida. Um, LSU's first time they're traveling to the West Coast in a long time. I mean, different air, different heat. Who knows what it's going to be like uh, out there. Um, UCLA had 244 rushing yards last week, even though it was against Hawaii, but LSU's defensive line has – it has two injuries. Um, this guy, this transfer, I think it's Charbonnet or Charbonnet. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. I, I forgot what they said the guy said last week, but we're from the highlights. So I was watching in the portions I watched the game last week. I mean, he's a downhill runner. He's pretty legit. I think it's going to be a close one. I think I got, 
I'm still going to go with UCLA plus two and a half. And I think this is Chip Kelly's chance to get back on the national stage and make his brand relevant again. UCLA, if they went outright, which I think at this point, if they cover, they're going to win outright. Um, and I think the overall hit as well. Um, so because I don't think either defenses are that great. You know, Brett, I really like the, you know, you brought some good stuff there. UCLA five and two in their last seven against the spread, but I'm going to go the complete opposite direction from you in every way, shape or form. I really like the under 66 in this one. Sorry about that. I am going to zag real quick on you. Um, I, I really like LSU and here's why. I looked at that UCLA Hawaii game and I said, I think this is going to be a close high scoring game. And it was not UCLA got out early. They had some turnovers. They ended up blowing out Hawaii by 34 points. Hawaii did not look like they were in a good mindset. They did not look ready to play. They looked slow. They looked weak, did not look like a very well, you know, coached team. And that's normally not what we see from Hawaii. If that game was closer and UCLA had their starters in for four quarters and had to open up the playbook a bit more and were tested a bit more, I would actually like UCLA plus two and a half because they would have that game under their belt. If you look at that game script, UCLA starters left the field in the third quarter. Like they had a preseason game, an NFL preseason game, not a high quality week one matchup right there. So I don't think that you can say, oh, UCLA, they had a game earlier. Uh, I don't think they're going to be ready for LSU's speed, their size, and their athleticism because they did not get that last week at all. Uh, they just didn't get a test from Hawaii. I like UC LSU minus two and a half, and I like the under in this one as well, which is set at 66. I like the under in it. I, I think this is one where LSU could potentially win by two or three touchdowns. It is a very popular pick, though, for UCLA. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said, Sam. Let's not overthink this. One team won a national championship two years ago and one plays in the Pac-12. The, the speed, the size, the athletic ability is completely different. Um, I'm sorry. I, I love Hawaii. Their campus is beautiful. I've been there before. Yeah, no shot. They're keeping up with what LSU is going to bring on the field. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson completed 50% of his passes against Hawaii. What's that going to look like against LSU? I just, I don't, I don't see it. When I wrote this game down, it was four LSU minus four. Um, I liked it then and I like it even more now. I also probably like the under in this one. I don't think UCLA is going to be able to score or move the ball very well. Yeah. LSU lost all that talent two years ago, but they reload and they started to look better as the year went on last year. So let's not overthink this too much. One team literally won the national championship two years ago. I know it's a different team, but it's the same program. Um, same head coach. Definitely going to go with LSU in this one. We're going with LSU too. Um, it really comes down to Dorian Thompson Robinson. I'm just not sure he's going to hold up against LSU's defense for four quarters. Zach Charbonnet looked really good against Hawaii. I'm not sure he's going to have the free reign to run like he did against LSU. I mean, in the LSU game, uh, like he did against Hawaii. I just don't see it. Um, Charbonnet transferred from Michigan, I believe. Pretty decent back. Good player for sure. I think UCLA actually keeps us close. Um, I think it's going to be more competitive than a lot of people think it is. I, I do think LSU now only being a two and a half point favorite is an overreaction to last week, though. I, I'm definitely on board with that. I, I think UCLA keeps us within a score or two. I think LSU wins. I think UCLA is going to have a pretty good year, though. I think they'll be a, a pretty good competitive team in the Pac-12. I just don't see them competing with what LSU has on defense. Um, 
it's I'm trying not to overthink. I'm going to go LSU. I think I'm on the under as well. I'm probably not going to bet the under, but I'm definitely going to bet LSU minus two and a half. Yeah. And I'll round this out here. I know you, you guys gave me a lot of crap for picking LSU as a playoff sleeper this year. Uh, so I guess that out of spite, that makes me have to be an LSU fan this year, uh, just cause I have to prove all of you wrong, but I don't have to be an LSU fan to like them a lot with this two and a half point line. You know, I, I think there's a pretty big disparity in saying that LSU isn't a playoff contender versus they will lose to UCLA because I mean, UCLA is just not that great of a football program. Haven't really been that great in a long time. Uh, Ed kind of touched on that. There's just two different levels of prestige here with these two programs. And I understand the hype around UCLA after last week because they looked really good, but I just don't think Hawaii is that good. I mean, they're probably at best like the sixth best Mountain West team. I don't know. Sam's a Mountain West expert. He can probably confirm yeah. or deny that. I mean, just to put Hawaii into perspective, about 500 is what you'd expect from them this year. So, I mean, no, like Hawaii is not a very, and it's like, also, if you think UCLA is going to go in here and win this game and beat LSU, like, okay, who do they lose to in the Pac-12 now? You, right. You, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense for me too much. LSU's right. only projected eight wins though. So you got to figure these losses are going to come somewhere. So, I mean, right now it's over, I mean, they're over under eight wins. So that's what I'm kind of looking at to the show. Yeah, their losses will come to Alabama. I don't, not UCLA. Yeah. I was going to say, I'll take my money on them losing in the SEC uh, just because I think the talent is far greater in the SEC uh, and especially at LSU. Interesting stuff for you guys. LSU all time is 22 and four against the Pac-12. Uh, that's pretty good. I just think the talent gap is far too huge for a two and a half point line. And so I went through and, and looked at LSU's starting offense and their average recruiting ranking coming out of high school with the two, uh, 247 composite ranking. Their projected starters had a nine two a .9267 average uh, 247 composite ranking in high school, which is about a, a mid four-star. Last year, UCLA's 2021 recruiting classes had zero players ranked at .92 or higher. That means that the best recruit that UCLA can bring in is not as good as the average recruit for LSU's offense. I didn't even bother to touch their defense because I got the point about halfway through that research. Uh, I The only way LSU loses this game, in my opinion, is them beating themselves and they would have to beat themselves pretty badly. I just don't see it happening. Two and a half points is just way too small a spread. Uh, the logical point here is the Tigers, or logical pick is the Tigers and their higher ceiling. Sam, get that uh, cha-ching effect ready again because this is a lock. Two Two locks. I like separating myself early. That's how I'm actually surprised that we have as much LSU because this I was like, UCLA. I like all separating myself early. I'm I'm outnumbered here, but I'm still liking myself here. I oh yeah, Brad, say, confidence, man. I will say, do is LSU has been in Houston for the past few days. I believe practicing. Um, obviously, you know, really terrible stuff happening down there on the Gulf Coast. Does that worry you at all that they've been kind of displaced from campus and their practice facilities and, you know, hotels, mined in a different place, maybe? No, I feel like if anything, it could help. All they're, all they're worried about is football. Not that those guys were super worried about class anyway, but right now they're really just worried about football. You know, assuming all their families are safe and everybody's safe down there. Um, they're, I think they're practicing at the same stadium it looked like maybe or 
Uh, I believe oh, no, they're, they're in Houston. That's right. They're in Houston. The Saints were practicing in Dallas. I don't know. I'm all confused. But either way, I think it could help. And yeah, the quarterback thing for LSU is definitely a question mark. But uh, I think the talent overall is is too far there. Yep. All right. Well, another SEC West team, and this one is a high, high profile game being played in Atlanta, the, the pseudo capital of college football on ABC at 3.30. The Alabama Crimson Tide are minus 19 and a half against the Miami Hurricanes. The over-under for this game is set at 61 and a half. We talked up Miami in our ACC Coastal uh, preview. We also kind of talked about how Alabama could has some question marks going into this year that they don't normally have. Chris, how are you feeling about this one? This is another one where we don't really have to overthink it. So if you go back to the time that Saban started off at Alabama, they do a few things pretty well. One of them is winning national titles. One of them is winning SEC championships. And the last one is winning gigantic big week one matchups against non-conference opponents on neutral site fields. That's what they do. Uh, So I just went back to 2015 because that was the most consistent streak of games that they had in considering these kind of big week one matchups. Um, five and zero against the spread since 2015. Uh, that includes an 18 point victory against Wisconsin in 2015 in Arlington, a 46 point victory against USC in Arlington the following season, a 16 point victory against Florida State in 2017 in Atlanta, Louisville they beat by 37 in 2018, and then I don't know why this was even on schedule. They beat Duke by 39, and I think that was just like a mercy a mercy kill there by the second half uh, in Atlanta as well. So overall, they're a plus 156 in five games, 31.2 average margin of victory. Saban demoralizes non-conference opponents and neutral site games. This is going to be more of the same. Miami's not ready for this, and they've already called and asked for the smoke. They're going to regret every single word of that. Uh, Lay the points, roll tide, 19 and a half. I normally hate big spreads like this, but if there is an exception – It'll always be with Alabama. Yeah, Chris, I agree. Um, I hate this line. I mean, I stared at it like all day, just like, what do we want? And it just keeps gaining traction. Like Vegas wants to desperately get people to bet Miami just to take their money because they know Alabama's going to win. And this Bama team does have some question marks, obviously with the quarterback, Bryce Young. I mean, he's going to be legit. It's just depending on whether or not he's going to be good this year. Um, but it's going to look more like a vintage Bama team, like of you know the teams with Mark Ingram, like back in the early 2010s, where the defense is just absolutely insane. Like this is going to be like the nine to six national or nine to six SEC championship game against LSU, and then playing them again, holding them zero points in national championship. Uh, I think Derek King. I mean, this will be obviously the toughest defense he's faced in his career. I mean, especially coming from Houston and then coming to the ACC. I mean. Clemson, I guess maybe, but I still think this defense is better than any of the Clemson defenses that um, Derek King has faced. Obviously, he's coming off injury. I mean, they say he's good to go. I mean, they're Miami solely relying on his performance pretty much in this game. Um, Miami's defense losing a lot, still going to – I mean, they reload. They're kind of reloading, but you don't know what you're going to get with them. Um, I think Diaz has them going in the right direction, but I, I think it's just – like Chris said, I think Bama in week one is just a different uh, – uh, beast. I, I, I wouldn't bet against them. Um, I'm thinking along the lines of like, even though the line's 19 and a half, I'm thinking like 38 to 17, they get to three scores at the end of the fourth quarter as they wear down Miami. Um, 
with the and I think it's going to hit the under as well somewhere and that by a score less than the under just because I think the defense is going to dominate Miami so bad they're not going to be able to put up 20 to 30 points wow I'm actually kind of surprised that both of you went so heavy on Bama and I understand all of the Bama early season just wipes the floor with people but I think this Miami team is probably better than most of the teams that you know Alabama has played recently in these early season games. Miami has the experience. They're returning every single weapon, every single skill player. The the only questions that they have are kind of on the defensive interior. And I agree, Alabama will be able to run the football against them. But I do think there'll be this bend, don't break mentality to Miami's defense this year that might serve them well because Derek King is a guy who, when he's on, he can make plays out of nowhere. I think he makes enough plays to cover this spread. I could definitely see this being a backdoor cover and final score being like 41, 48-31 or, or something like that. Um, I, I think it definitely depends on the type of game plan that Nick Saban wants to run with this. He has really wanted to go full throttle on the offense in the last few years and really air the ball out. We'll see if they do that. Steve Sarkeesian is not there anymore. So there will be a different play caller for Alabama. We don't really know what we're getting from their offense, but I like Miami in this one plus 19 and a half is just way too big. Miami is too talented. I understand Alabama will probably win the game. Alabama will probably win, you know, relatively comfortably, but I don't think Miami is going to go down there and get blown out. They just, there's there's too much talent on Miami right now for that to happen. Yeah, I uh, actually, as the day has gone on, I've kind of changed my mind on this one. I originally, you know, jumped right into Alabama here. Uh, it's so hard to bet against Alabama and Nick Saban, but I'm actually going to go Miami to cover here. Um, I, you know, one of my original notes when I did this and picked Alabama earlier in the day was worried about a backdoor cover and. Yeah, the more I've thought about it, the more I think that that's possible, especially after hearing you know, some of those results that Chris listed off. Uh, I don't think a lot of those teams that they were blowing out had the type of quarterback play that Miami will have. Um, I think the Air King can just keep them in this, uh, especially as the line continues to grow. Uh, I'm going to go with Miami to, uh, to cover this one. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying that. I can't believe I'm betting against Nick Saban, but um, I, I do kind of think there'll be a, in more of a run first offense, maybe in the defensive game, especially in week one. Uh, I, I have no doubt that Bryce Young is a good player. Um, if you think back to last year, there was talk of him winning that job over Mac Jones uh, in the preseason. So I'm not worried about him at all. I, I, but the, you know, the DR King effect and the ability to keep them in this game, I think they'll be able to cover this a spread as big as this one. Yeah, I'm. Uh... I won't be personally betting this game. I just 19 and a half is just a really, really tough line either direction to bet. I, yeah, I do think, I'm not betting this either. Yeah. Now I, I do think Miami will keep this competitive. Um, maybe not from the standpoint of, Oh my God, they could upset Alabama. I, I don't think that, but I think they could stay within a couple scores for most of the game. Um, I could see a cover late in either direction here. Um, I'm, I'm leaning I'm leaning Miami because um, the experience they're bringing back on offense. I think I feel like there's more knowns with Miami right now um, than we got with Bama. Um, a lot of unknowns on the offensive side of the ball for them. Uh, Alabama's defense is going to be very, very good. Um, but 
where we've seen Alabama struggle, even with their best defenses in recent years, has been with dual threat quarterbacks. And D.R. King is one of those, clearly. Um, and Miami's playmakers, I, I just think that they match up well with Bama in regard to covering almost a three-touchdown spread. So I'm going to lean Miami here. Um, I think Bama wins this game pretty easily. I think Miami's the best team in the Coastal. I've been on the record saying that. Um, so I do think they keep this thing relatively competitive. I don't think they get totally embarrassed here, but um, I'll take Miami to barely cover. They'll be close, though. I'm also going to take the Canes here. I This is kind of the opposite issue as the LSU spread, whereas I thought LSU wasn't getting enough points. Now I feel like Alabama's getting too many. I mean, we've kind of touched on this a lot. Like, how good can Alabama be? I mean, they could win the national championship, or in my opinion, they could not even make the playoff. But regardless of all that, they will be starting fresh in a lot of ways. Um, they, I mean, they, you lose so much talent from that offense, and you lose the uh, kind of mastermind of it all in Steve Sarkeesian. And I, I won't harp on this too much because I really roasted him last week, but you replace him with Bill O'Brien, and I just struggled to see a Bill O'Brien offense scoring a lot of points. But, you know, my... Miami will probably lose this game, but at the same time, they are the veteran team. And I think especially as you look at these early season matchups, it's experience that can really um, kind of be the difference maker uh, as you, if you're throwing a bunch of young guys out there, and this is kind of, we'll touch on this with the tech UNC game, I think. Um, But if you're throwing a bunch of young guys out there that haven't really proven themselves, uh, you're kind of throwing them to the fire, especially if you have a marquee matchup in your first game, which is what Alabama has. Um, Miami, whether you like them or not, they're a top 15 team. And that's certainly a lot better than playing Mercer. Um, I just, I think, I think Miami loses this game here, but, but like the guys before me have alluded to, I just think Miami is too good to get blown out by that much. Um, and especially if they're able to get just a little bit of pressure on Bryce Young, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they do that because two of the three starters that they lost from last year were edge rushers uh, in Phillips and Roche. But if they can get any semblance of pressure on Bryce Young, I really like the under here and I really like Miami to cover here and maybe lose by 10. You know, I was going to say, you know, Miami is not one of like Miami has some disappointing performances, but they don't really get blown out. Well, they did get blown out towards the end of last season by North Carolina. So uh, we will we will see. Uh, Manny Diaz definitely has his work cut out for him. Well, guys, it's something new that we're doing this year. We're having uh, listeners of the podcast hit us up on Twitter and suggest some games of the week. And thank you so much for all of the interactions. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, special thanks to John Earl at J underscore Earl four on Twitter for suggesting the West Virginia Maryland game. We talked about Maryland a little bit earlier in the podcast and then uh last week as well uh, a team that Irby really likes this season this game will be on espn at 3 30 p.m in college park maryland west virginia is minus three and a half against the maryland fighting turtles chris are do you do you like crab cakes in old bay that's that's what we're asking here first question what are your thoughts on old bay and second what are your thoughts on the football game I'm personally in the line of thinking that Old Bay is a little overrated at this point, mostly because it's become more of like not only a spice, but a condiment. And like, it's like a, like how they put pumpkin flavoring and everything now. There's like Old Bay flavoring and everything now. So it's, it's, 
it, it needs to get back into its normal niche and role. So just slow your roll, baby. All right. Just you're, you're everywhere now. Uh, but I'm going to feel dirty because I'm not going to say I'm, I'm going for crab cakes and football here, but I'm, I'm all for burning couches, I guess, because I, I am begrudgingly taking West Virginia in this matchup. So uh, sorry, Irby. Um, but it, this game overall, I feel like it's just going to be incredibly sloppy. Uh, but for me overall, it's a bet against Mike Loxley and just what the Terrapins as a program really are at this point. I mean, they, they haven't been very good since he took the helm and they haven't been good before that. They just, they're, consistently inconsistent they don't really have an identity they just kind of been pretty bad on defense averaged at best and that's saying something considering Mike Loxley was brought in there to kind of develop quarterbacks and kind of overhaul the offensive approach for them and it really hasn't happened overall um, so they're just kind of a listless team without an identity um, and at least with West Virginia and don't get me wrong I'm probably not going to watch this game um, but at least with West Virginia, I know that I'm getting somewhat of a competent defense and maybe even more than that, um, just considering last season, I think they were top 20 in scoring defense, top five total defense overall. Um, and with West Virginia, I'm getting a team that was, I've got to hear, they were 124th in power five turnover margin, negative differential, so not very good. Um, so normally turnover differentials kind of varies from year to year. So I looked for the year prior to that and they were 97th. So I just think overall Maryland is a team with an identity of just kind of being sloppy with the football a little bit as well. I think this is probably a low scoring game, a lot of turnovers, uh, but overall just give me the better defense. Um, and yeah, I'll take West Virginia with the, uh, the minus 3.5. Yeah. I agree with Chris again here. Um, Chris said a couple points that I said, obviously I, I really had forgotten that West Virginia was the best defense in the big 12 last year and a top five defense overall in the country. That's usually not on brand for them, especially back, you know, Fifth, ten years ago when they were like this absolute lights out offense that would try to put up 75 but uh i mean i think maryland actually will be i think they're over under over five wins or something i think it's like that i think they actually will get over that but i think west virginia actually looking into them just because of our matchup i think they're actually a little better than i thought they were going to be or there's on paper um and maryland is about honestly the same as five or six wins uh maryland's running game is going to be a huge issue they were eighth in the country last year um, and I just don't think they have the weapons, honestly, to score like any points on this defense coming up. Uh, Tagu uh, to his brother. I don't know if if he's going to be able to do brother was capable of against you know West Virginia. Honestly, um, he really did. He had a few bright spots last year, early on in the year. Obviously, the upset with Penn State, but other than that, he really didn't do a whole lot. Um, and I'm going to stick with the under here, even though it's pretty low. Uh, the under is hitting four out of five Week One games for. West Virginia uh, under his hit and under his hit in general in Maryland's last six of seven um, at 57 at 56 and a half. I think score of like 37, 35 to 10, 35 to 17 is pretty viable um, with West Virginia winning and covering. So guys, um, I'm going to lock it in. This is my lock. Of the week. West Virginia minus three and a half all day. Take it to the bank. I don't think this will be a blowout, I, or at least I'm not predicting a blowout here. I think West Virginia can win this by a touchdown or two, but minus three and a half, I would hammer the Mountaineers on this one. They are replacing a lot. We talked about how good their defense was last year. A lot of those guys have either transferred or graduated. Like It's not going to be the same bases on defense for West Virginia, but they do seem to have built a bit of an identity there. Same question on the offensive line. They are replacing three guys on the offensive line, so they will have to 
you know, replace guys quickly. And West Virginia is not a school that recruits well at all. They're one of the bottom recruiters in the power five, um, or at least for the major programs, you know, not considering, you know, Vanderbilt or Oregon state or something like that. But I do think that West Virginia has the key matchup in this game. And that is running back Letty Brown, who was an over a thousand yard rusher last year in a condensed season, really, really talented guy who will be going up against a defense in Maryland. That was 115th against the run last season. That does not look good for Maryland. Uh, I would really hammer West Virginia here because I think that matchup is just going to decimate that defense. I could see West Virginia just controlling the clock in this game, playing good defense, and really being in control from start to finish. I think I might be alone on this one, but I'm going to go with Maryland. Uh, Fear the turtle, baby. Let's go. Uh, I'm I don't know why I'm doing this. I, I really can't tell you why I'm doing this. I do like Tagovailoa. I do think um, I think you pronounce it Telia is actually a very good quarterback. Um, he had a couple really really good games last year. Maryland got got pretty screwed with COVID um, as much as anybody else in the country. They only played five games. They had I think three canceled last year due to COVID, whether it was their own or somebody else's. Um, I, I just have a lot of questions about West Virginia. Um, you know, and I have a lot of questions about both these teams in reality, but I do think Tagovailoa is actually a pretty good quarterback. He had some really good numbers in their, in their wins over Penn State and Minnesota um, and just kind of some inexplicably bad games. Uh, week one against Northwestern was terrible last year for Maryland. But then other than that, you know, and then he comes up the next week and throws for 300 back-to-back weeks. Uh, so it really didn't make a whole lot of sense. But I'm going to go with Maryland at home in this one to cover. Um, I think they'll probably win the game too, uh, which would be really interesting for for Tech fans watching on, you know, pending our, our matchup with West Virginia a few weeks later. But uh, Maryland looked significantly better last year. I do agree with Chris's point of the whole lack of identity. Um, that's a problem that they have for sure. Um, but they've, they've done some pretty good job, you know, landing some higher level recruits. Uh, the first one that jumps out is Rakeem Jarrett, the wide receiver from two years ago. Uh, five, former five-star recruit, uh, had one really good game last year, like 140 yards receiving. Um, so I think if, if Maryland can sure up their run defense a little bit, um, I like them actually in this one to cover, if not win the game at home with who I believe is probably the better quarterback in Tugamalo. This one, this one's hard for me to pick against the spread again. Um, I don't really know what West Virginia is going to be. Um, they're losing a lot on defense. They were a very good defense last year, but they lost a lot. But I know, I know that I don't have any idea what Maryland's going to be, right? Like, I, I have a, a general idea of West Virginia. Like, I, I think that they'll still be decent on defense. I think I know what they're going to try to do on offense. You know, they're going to try to try to run the ball, set play action, and and that's what they were successful at at times last year, but I look at Maryland and the whole lack of offensive identity thing sticks out to me. Um, I'm going to lock up the under here. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to make that a lock. I'm not on this spread at all. I, I just, I can't bet this. I'm leaning West Virginia um, just for the sake of this podcast, but I'm really going to bet the under. Like I love the under here. I, I don't think either team scores a bunch in this game. I think it's going to be low scoring, ugly, West Virginia wins close. Um, I guess I'll take them to cover. So Sam, to answer your question about Old Bay, um, I am an Old Bay fan, but more importantly, 
I am a huge fan of Old Bay hot sauce. Uh, some air fryer chicken wings with Old Bay sauce, so- Old Bay hot sauce on them, is fantastic. Uh, and hokey fans, that is a great, great tailgate snack idea. So if you're looking for something to eat on Friday, Old Bay hot wings. But I am actually going to echo a lot of what Ed said here. Um, I like, I like Maryland. I know that I, I, you know, planted my flag so to speak, on Maryland last week. Maybe not as hard as I did LSU. Uh, there's a big difference in picking a team to make to be a playoff sleeper and then picking a team to make a bowl game. But, you know, I guess I'm a Maryland fan now too. So You, you planted your flag in some very interesting lands last week. I like teams with high upside, and I think that both Maryland and LSU have that upside. It's just a matter of can they reach that upside. Uh, and ultimately, I think... Ed touched on this a lot. 2020 was a tough season for Maryland with COVID things. I mean, so they started two and one and had just come off a win over Penn State. And regardless of how good or bad Penn State may or may not have been that season, uh, that's a big win for for a program like Maryland who is trying to still find its footing in the Big Ten. And then from that point on, they saw four of their final six games get canceled. Uh, and, And that's just brutal. I mean, you just can't build continuity when you're playing one game a month. I and I think Talia is legit. I I know he struggled last year with taking care of the ball. Um his assist I'm sorry, assist to turnover. This is in basketball. His touchdown to interception ratio was 1 to 1. But this I think would be a great struggled. basketball matchup though. Oh, yeah. No. I would actually probably take West Virginia in the basketball matchup. No, it wouldn't cuz Mark Turgeon's terrible. It wouldn't Mark Turgeon's terrible. I think Ed would take West Virginia in the basketball matchup too. Don't even get me started. Mike Mike has seen this show before. Mike Mark Turgeon is terrible. Ed is not a Mark Turgeon guy. That is for <laughs> sure. I guess we're an anti Bill O'Brien and Mark Turgeon podcast. Uh, but Talia is legit, and I think if he has an opportunity to just get more comfortable and to not feel like he has to do everything, he's clearly the better quarterback than. Uh, West Virginia's quarterback, I guess it's Jarrett Doge. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, well, this Doge coin is not headed to the moon. Uh, Maryland is going to cover three and a half, and they're going to win the game outright. That was the best one you've had yet. Hey, man. To the moon. Dad jokes galore over here. I was kind of wondering MO. How, you pronounced, how you pronounced his name, but uh, you know we'll be talking about West Virginia in a couple weeks. Too. I, I don't think West Virginia is like going to be a great team this year by any means. I just I don't I don't think Maryland matches up well in this one at all. Well, West Virginia is a little better, and I think I led them to be when we were talking about West Virginia not being a marquee win like all year. Um, I mean, I granted in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to ACC, it's still not, but I think they're a little better than I anticipated. Just looking at where they were last year and where they're at right now. So they are in above they last year, they were an above average team this year. They'll be an above average team. I mean, it's that's, that's kind of where that program is going to be unless they get lightning in a bottle with, you know, Steve Slayton and Pat white and all those guys. All right. Moving on to the big one in Charlotte, North Carolina, the game of the year, potentially Georgia is plus two and a half facing the Clemson Tigers. It'll be at 7.30 on ABC. I will be, unfortunately, in Charlottesville watching the Nerd Bowl between UVA and William & Mary. 
but um yeah <laughs> why, why would you do that to yourself well i i, I do uh i have a job i don't know if I've told everyone I, I have a job scouting for college football, um, for a college football stats company, and well, I'll be in a lot of UVA games. That, that was your game. Yep, that was your game. Fair enough. Fair enough. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty disappointed though. This will be on the phone. Don't don't worry about that. But yeah, fifty one and a half is the over under, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Chris, what do you have here? This is a potential college football rematch. And that is, I mean, I could very well see that happening with this one. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. And and usually looking at week one, my rule of thumb, uh, when you have something like this, which is very rare in college football to have just two elite blue blood programs going out at week one on a non-conference slate. I actually disappointed this game's in Charlotte. It should be in, this is like, you know, this is like, this should be in Vegas. You know, this should be in the Jerry Dome out there in Dallas. Like, I feel like this has to have a proper stage. So little bit of a letdown there. Sorry to anybody for the our, our Charlotte, North Carolina brethren out there, but um, it, hey, feels take it, less, it feels less big because it's in Charlotte uh, and rather than one of the other grander venues out there. But usually for me, when I'm looking at games like this and I haven't had a full kind of slate of games to, vow, to look at for how they're performing over the course of the season, I just kind of have a rule of thumb in general, you know, 60% of the time it works every time. And, and that for me is, is taking UGA plus two and a half in this game. Um, I went on to team rankings and I, I usually just try to look for stat trends and how these teams perform in these types of games. So I looked at uh, neutral site, non-conference against ranked opponents with equal rest in all games altogether. And literally the percentage against the trend, uh, I'd say uh, percentages for both. I, I put it since 2016 because that's when Kirby Smart started at UGA. Um, and no joke, the margins of their percentages performance against the spread for all those categories. Uh, and this is UGA Clemson in, in, in sequence here. Uh, neutral site, 66 to 69%. Non-conference, 52 to 52%. Against ranked opponents, 60 to 65%. With equal rest, 62 to 57%, which is one of the largest margins of difference there. And then all games together, 56 to 58%. These teams literally perform the exact same uh, in those types of categories against the spread for the last, what is that, six, or excuse me, um, five years, um, four years actually for four full years. Of, so uh, nothing really stood out. So I kind of just leaned back into my rule of thumb with just taking the points in this one. And um, just, just one thing I'm looking at is just what the Clemson offense looks like without Travis Etienne in it, who's kind of been a safety blanket for them for so many years. It feels like he was on there. He was kind of their Alvin Kamara of their offense. Um, I'm just not quite sure what that looks like. And, um, you know, what is DJ as a runner possibly in that offense with UGA's kind of speed and size and talent being able to stop? He's kind of like a power guy. He's not going to like evade a lot of uh, defenders in that defense. Um, so in that, I think this is going to be a close game. I'm pretty sure a lot of people probably feel the exact same way. Uh, so just give me give me the dogs, give me the points. Um, and uh, UGA here is what I would think would be the play. Yeah. If it wasn't for my, I guess, my UCLA pick on my own, Chris and I have been in line with every pick so far tonight. I'll follow up again with him. Uh, I mean, as Sam said, I mean, I already wrote in my notes, game of the year in week one, question mark. And I think, I mean, this is going to be absolute fireworks. Um, For me, it comes kind of down to, this is really, I think, do or die for Kirby Smart. I mean, he's got to get these big games. I mean, he's got to get one. And I think this is the one he's got. JT Daniels is the best quarterback he's had since he's been there. Um, you could put an asterisk against Justin Fields if you really want to, but uh, but I mean, a starting quarterback, I would say JT Daniels is the best he's had since he's been there. 
Clemson, I think facing the best defense in the country week one is a really, really tough look. I mean, that's always, you know, one of the hardest things to do in college football is come out and play the another SEC opponent with a tough defense like Miami will do. But I think Georgia defense is better than Miami's. So, I mean, but Clemson's a much better team. Uh, Ungalele, I mean, obviously last year, I mean, he performed well against the, the biggest stage against Notre Dame almost. Uh, I mean, granted, he had a lot more weapons. I mean, Justin Ross coming back, obviously, is going to be huge for them. I think it's just going to come down to quarterback play. And I think the defense is going to get to Ungalele more than the defense will get to JT Daniels. And I think there's going to be a couple more turnovers. I literally think it might come down to like literally one change of possession or a turnover that'll decide the game. I think Georgia wins in a close one. I can't believe the over-under is 51.5. I think I'm stealing Sam's, a little, Sam's thunder here a little bit. I think he's about to – I'll let him lay into it, but I'm going to go ahead and think I'm agreeing with him saying to hammer that over. That's going to be my lock of the week is hammering – you can put the sound effect in there – hammering that over. Uh, I think it's all along the lines of like 31, 28, uh, 35, 28, somewhere in that lines. I don't see – even with two solid defenses, even with the best defense in the country. I mean, these teams are absolutely insane. And also I'm picking Georgia plus two and a half because one of my locks in the earlier in the year was Clemson under 11 and a half wins. And I think this is where they get it. And I think I get paid twice this year on uh, one game. So I'm going Clemson. I mean, sorry, Jesus, I'm going Georgia plus two and a half. <laughs> I, I mean, if this game was being played in like 2003 or 2004, maybe over under 51 and a half would make sense, but I just don't understand this one. I would hammer over 51 and a half Clemson in these big games. They are always high scoring. Like I don't care how good Clemson's defense is. They play in high scoring football games. That's just how they play Georgia. I think they have a little bit more of that grungy, low scoring old fashioned sec identity to them, but this offense is going to be phenomenally better compared to what they were last year. I think a lot of the issues with Georgia coming into this game has been the injury issues. They've had a few in fall camp, but I think those are being overhyped so much more because they're getting a lot of those guys back starting center. They were worried about, they should have him back Uh, top two wide receivers in Burton and Jackson. They should have those guys back as well. And they'll have tight end John Fitzpatrick who had to slide into that starting role. They'll have him as well. So it doesn't look like it'll be as bad as it could have been for Georgia coming into this game. I think defensively, they're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. I think they're going to try to make Clemson one-dimensional, and that will allow them to kind of know what's coming. Clemson will put up points. I don't think there's any question about that, but I don't think they will put up enough. I think Georgia's going to be able to score in the 30s in this one. I really like Clemson's defensive line, but I'm not sold on their secondary. So give me Georgia. I would hammer the over in this one. I would feel much more confident about the over than I would either side on the spread. Yeah, I also like Georgia in this one um, for a lot of the reasons you guys already said. Uh, Maybe the biggest one being, I think Trevor Lawrence meant a lot more to that program and that team than just his talent on the field. Um, I think, you know, you take... DJ and Trevor Lawrence and stack them up next to each other in Madden. They probably have the same rankings for most things. Um, they're both, you know, uber talented people, um, you know, physical specimens, which is very good quarterbacks, everything you want in a quarterback. Uh, I, I just think Trevor Lawrence meant a lot more to that program and that team 
uh, especially in big games like this one. Um, you know, a tight game, uh, you know, late in the third quarter, early fourth quarter, you look over and you have Trevor Lawrence, you might feel a little bit better about yourself than if you, you know, you got Bowie Ungagale, uh, in, you know, his first real big game as the starting quarterback in Clemson. I, I, I don't know. I just have a hard time picking him in this one. I'm kind of in, I'll wait and wait to see it mode with him and this team right now. Uh, and they also, you know, they have the potential for a true freshman running back to be the majority ball carrier. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Will Shipley coming out of their camp. Uh, he's obviously very talented. I just don't really believe that Lynn J. Dixon is going to be their primary ball carrier based on their depth chart. I know he, they say he is, but I don't really believe that. Um, and Georgia's defense is, you know, freakishly talented. So I'm going to go with the, uh, the slightly more experienced team here in Georgia. I just, I think Clemson's going to miss Trevor Lawrence a little bit in this one. They're going to be looking down the sideline, hoping he returns and it's not going to be there. So I'm going to go with the Bulldogs. I think Georgia's a safer pick. They're the best team in the SEC. I've been on the record saying that too. I don't know if they'll win the SEC because I just, again, Kirby Smart in big games is just, it's a coin flip what you're going to get. I'm actually taking Clemson in this game because of that. I'm not betting against Dabo Swinney. I'm sorry. Can't do it. I won't do it. I think if this game gets high scoring, I don't think Georgia's keeping up. I I don't. Georgia's offense, they would love to just play in like 14 to 10 games all the time, right? Like they, they lean on their defense. They're a very old school SEC team and they haven't really adapted to the new age SEC, right? Um, we, we saw what happened with Alabama where Alabama was a stout defense. They were the team that could go and, and win games nine to six. They could win games 14 to 10, whatever. And then, you know, Nick Saban saw the way college football was going. And then he just decided he was going to outscore everybody. And Georgia at times the last few years, their offense, when I watch them play, it doesn't seem like they've really adapted to that. Now, again, I think Georgia is very good. I think they have an opportunity to win the SEC. This is a more important game for Georgia than it is for Clemson. Clemson can lose this game, run the table, win the ACC championship, and get into the playoff. Georgia, if they lose this game, they basically have to win the SEC championship because I, I think they will have a much harder time getting in with two losses than Clemson would with one. So I'm going to go with Clemson just because I trust Dabo a little bit more than I trust Kirby Smart. I think Georgia's got more talent on the field. It's, we're literally splitting hairs with a two-and-a-half-point line. Um, I could see this going either direction. But this game is more meaningful to Georgia. But I think Clemson pulls it off because I trust Dabba more than I trust Kirby Smart. Yeah, this is one that I just I just keep going back and forth. I the line is so tight. I could really see it going either way, but I do think that the safer pick, and it's funny that we we're both expressing both sides as being the safe pick. Uh, but I think the safe pick is Clemson based on what Mike you said, just that history um and that provenness that Dabo has had to win those big games. Has he won every big game he's played in? No, but he's won a lot of them. I mean, the man's got two rings. I just think that, like you said, we're splitting hairs a lot, trying to figure out what the differences are here. These are two very, very talented teams. They very well could be the best two teams in the country. Um, they each have their individual strengths and weaknesses. Um, but I do I do think the X factor to this game could be Will Shipley. Ed touched on him a second ago, but I mean, this is a, a kid who's a true freshman, was an early enrollee, the number two ranked running back in the country uh, last year, coming out of high school. And more importantly, he is playing the first game of his college career in his home city. 
he's from Charlotte, North Carolina, or Matthews specifically, if you want to get really uh, technical, but Charlotte area nonetheless. And how how insane would that be to play the first game of your college career in the same stadium where you grew up watching uh, your favorite NFL team play? That's pretty cool. And I think Shipley, he's garnering just quite a bit of buzz um, out of Clemson for what he can do. I think he is the future that that pairing of Uyangale and Shipley is, I think by the end of the season, that's what you're going to see on the field for Clemson. Uh, it's just a matter of what impact can they make in this first game. Um, I just think what, what DJ can bring to Clemson's offense, even though he may not be a better quarterback than Trevor by any means, because Trevor is, I mean, Trevor's Trevor, but what DJ can bring, I think fits more in what the college game is today. Kind of what you were talking about, Mike, where, um, just these offenses have changed. You're just, it's just a scoring barrage and having a guy like DJ who is just, I mean, Dabo compared him to Shaq and just how he's just this behemoth of a man who is scary athletic. Um, he'll bring a rushing dynamic to Clemson's game that they haven't really had. They had it in Watson, but they kind of chose not to use it with Watson being just a tad smaller or thinner. We'll say, um, I think DJ will open up a lot with his legs. And when Lawrence was able to do that last year, rarely they were able to flow well off of that. Etienne was able to get looks and Trevor was able to move the ball down the field with his arm. I think DJ will have a lot of those opportunities um, as he he'll probably run for 80 ish yards in this game. I wouldn't be surprised. And so I think Clemson edges it out here, but is really close. And if I'm wrong, I will not be surprised. This is as far from a lock as you can possibly be. This is a really tough game. and They're two very, very good teams. Clemson does tend to run the quarterback a bit more in big games. They did it with Trevor Lawrence. If they needed offense, if they were in a big game, they just ran Trevor Lawrence. I think they will do that with DJ as well because it just seems to be in their identity. will definitely be an interesting game. Uh, congrats to everyone who gets to sit on their couch and eat pizza and watch it. I, I wish I was you. All right. Here we go. North Carolina minus five and a half versus the Virginia Tech Hokies. It will be on Friday night, 6 p.m. on ESPN, Friday night lights in Blacksburg. The over-under for this game is 64. According to oddsharks.com as of today, over 98% of the money is on the under. That is an absurd. You That never happens. I don't know what North Carolina, Virginia Tech matchups those people have been watching in recent memory, but that's where everyone's leaning. We have talked about this game for a while. It has been talked about nationally in terms of it's Sam Howell and a bunch of young guys on offense versus a really senior veteran Virginia Tech defense. This is the final pick. We've talked about this for like, months and months. Oh, I think you, know, I think tech has it like, Oh, I don't know. UNC has too much talent. This is your final pick for this game, guys. I don't want to hear anything else on the Slack channel about it. Chris final pick, put it in Sharpie UNC minus five and a half at Virginia tech. All right. When I'm looking at games like this and there's so many unknowns, I would consider that to be on both sides of the football for each team. Um, just because of the lack of returning production for UNC and, a lot of like the what if scenarios of people we haven't necessarily seen suit up even, you know, in a Virginia Tech uniform either last year or ever. 
uh, on the tech side of the ball. So I, I try to just hone in on one thing that I think will be the difference maker in this game. And for me, the only thing I could see a real glaring disparity between the two position groups that are going to be going right at it right there in the middle is the UNC offensive line versus the Virginia Tech defensive line. To me, that means everything in this football game. And it's the one where I really feel like Tech has a really strong advantage on this game. And I believe they know this as well. If you look at the stats from last year, and there wasn't a lot to really glean and be proud about for the U, excuse me, the Virginia Tech defense. Uh, but the fact that we were ranked ninth in the country in sacks per game at 3.27 a game was one that I think that we should all uh, kind of look and be how the heck did that happen when you consider that Amari Barno literally played the first few weeks of just learning the position on the fly with no real offseason and being a converted stand-up linebacker. Uh, no real consistency in terms of availability across the defensive line. Granted, not all sacks come from the defensive line, but for the majority part of them, they do. Um, and then you also factor in that Tierlink as the defensive line coach, which you would think is pretty important. Um, this is the first time he had a full offseason of actually being able to coach the position with his players. Um, you have Barno coming back who only added weight. Uh, you have garbage back. Um, you have just more senior capable bodies along the entire defensive line. Now, now granted the whole too deep beyond that is weak, but I'm not necessarily going to be uber concerned about the too deep until further on in the season, not week one. And so I'm thinking that the two kind of edge rushers and the two primary defensive tackles that'll be in this game who we have in our position groups um that's who i'm honing in on that's who i think is going to be performing um and that has to go against the unc offensive line which when you look at unc's offensive line i don't get why people just assume that they're going to be good this year just because they had another year in their system uh, I'm, I'm continually dumbfounded by this um they allowed i think it was 100 and sacks allowed per game in the country last year, 34 total sacks, about 2.83 a game. Uh, I think that's a glaring disparity. And then you look at their recruiting rankings because they talk about how great they are recruiting, uh, but those are mostly in kind of those flashy skill positions. They haven't necessarily been that good in recruiting offensive linemen into their program over the last few years. And then you look at their position coach, and I think all Tech fans can agree that Stacey Searles is not a very good overall offensive line coach. And he was pretty under uh, achieving and unimpressive during his time in Tech. And I consider him to be kind of doing the exact same thing at UNC. Um, so if you look at some of the games where UNC's uh, performance on the field, notably Sam Howell's performance, has been pretty lackluster, roughly around like a less than 150 passer rating. Uh, 2020 Notre Dame, 2019 Pitt, 2019 Wake Forest, all games five-plus sacks per game. UNC lost pretty substantively in each matchup. I just think that that is the correlation. If you rattle Sam Howell with pressure from the defensive line, you get him early and you get him just constantly thinking about where that person's coming from and not necessarily trying to throw that nice deep ball that we all think he can throw. Um, I think that that just blows up their entire offensive scheme. Um, and then they're, they're, they don't have the seniority of other people on that offense to be able to make up for something like that. Uh, so the last big factor is going to be for that offensive line is just the noise in Lane Stadium. It's going to be deafeningly loud in there pretty much the entire game, every time that they're on offense, definitely. So the UNC inconsistency on the offensive line is going to be exacerbated because they just probably will have difficulty talking to each other. They can play Ender Salmon in their field house all day long. It's not going to replicate what they're going to hear on Friday night. 
identifying, trying to talk to each other, communicate before the snap. Um, so that to me is the biggest thing that stands out overall. I know everyone will probably have another element or position group or player they're going to be focusing in on. But to me, it starts and stops with the UNC offensive line disadvantage versus VT's defensive line. And it feels good saying that. I feel like Saxburg is going to be back in full force on Friday night. So with that, give me VT plus five and a half. I'm not going to write it in sharp. I'm not going to write it in pen. I'm going to write this in... Uh, I'm gonna going to well, get a sorry. I'm going to <laughs> carve it into an oak tree. The VT plus five and a half. I'm actually pretty confident about that, and that actually makes me nervous being that confident. But give me the Hokies. Before we get to Brett, Chris, I think you made you know really good points about Tierlink being able to be with this def- defensive line for a full offseason. JC Price is also with this defensive line as well. And he's had a full off season. I don't know if you watch much Marshall football, but that defensive line and linebacking core was mean. They were nasty. They play with that tenacity, that lunch pail D. I think that's something that Virginia tech was missing. And we talked about the off season. Everyone is saying, Oh, JC price. Like he brings that attitude. His defenses have that attitude. And we really feel that and we're getting that from him and coach Tierlink. So I think that could be a really big addition to this team that a lot of people aren't talking about JC Price's addition to this coaching staff. Brett, go for it, man. <sighs> man, I mean, honestly, I've been thinking about this one a lot. And I think it's just going to come down to, I think, I mean, I've said it before. I've said it all year. I've said it on Twitter. I've said it on this podcast. I said it to everybody I know, even people that I know that are UNC fans. They are horrifically overrated, I think, still. Um, Sam Howell, great QB. Uh, he's going to be the QB 1-1 taking the draft still. Um, I think it would be him or Rattler, but I still think it's going to be Howell. Um, unless he turns into a Mar Jackson overnight, um, he's not going to be able to do this all, all on his own um, just throughout the whole season, not even just a Virginia Tech game. And, I mean, Bro Corrales just was announced that he's going to be out also. Um, that's a huge blow to them. That's literally one of their returning receivers that had any – him and Caffrey Brown are like the only two receivers that had any serious yards, you know, yards last year. Uh, Josh Downs, people are really high on him because um, he had a really big catch against Texas A&M. Great. I mean, you don't know, I think, especially last year was so hard to tell with evaluations, I think. Um, that being said, I mean, I've already spilled the stats on UNC. I mean, losing over 70% of your offense, losing over 70% of your offensive production, is almost impossible to replicate, especially at an ACC level, not a, well, I should say not at a Clemson ACC level, um, not at a high caliber SEC level, just replacing that offense is just borderline impossible. Um, I think this is the best defense Tech has had probably since the 2017 team. And I think that's what's going to come down to. Finally, I think you're going to see some vintage Blacksburg play um, on Friday. I think you're going to see, like Chris said, Saxburg. Um, I think I, well, I think, um, yeah. I kind of just get nervous talking about this game because I think there's so much riding on this for Fuente. There's so much riding on this for as a program. Um, this is kind of like on a much lower scale. This is do or die for Fuente as Georgia Clemson is for Kirby Smart. Um, this is his. I think this is his marquee win that he needs to win to in order to win the fans over. And I think they've prepped pretty much all year for this game, knowing having this circle on the schedule, what's going to happen. And I think. They're going to be much more prepared than UNC is. I don't. I still don't think Mac Brown, while a good recruiter, I still don't think he's that great of a coach. Uh, we covered that their their coordinators aren't really that. Uh, I don't think they're that special either. I don't think they're great game managers. Um, I think their their best game manager is going to be Sam Howell. It's going to be how he plays, and I think if we get to him, 
get a couple turnovers, um, especially early. I think it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, I I think it's going to. I'm not going to say it's going to get ugly. I'm not going to say multiple scores. Not say, it. say it. I'm say it. Say John it, John Laser said it on the Sun on Saturday now. podcast. Yeah, John. I mean, lock it up, John Laser, I mean, lock it up, Brett. Not a, I'm not doing it because I'm I'm not doing it because I'm going to hate myself on on Tuesday on Saturday morning if I lock it in. But I'm really the confident. keys in your hand, buddy. Just lock it in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really confident in this team. Um, in this game, especially. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the year. I just think it's. I think it, we're, we're well prepared. Um, I think UNC is going to win eight games this year. I think they're massively overrated. But uh, give me the Hokies plus five and a half, and I will say I'm giving them on the money line as well. Brett, Brett, what is the money line? Just just so the people at home. Uh, I don't know. You don't want to know what I did? I took no notes for this game because I've already ripped UNC enough apart, and I'm just was just going to say it again. So I really don't even know what the money line is. I know the line's five and a half, though. The money line for this game is set at plus one ninety. Oh, so it's gone down. It was like yeah, it has gone down. That's why it, it has gone down actually significantly. And um, I'm actually seeing some preds, spreads at six now, but most of them are at five and a half, and then roughly uh, plus one eighty to plus one ninety on the money yep. line. So money line's a great, great bet if you think the Hokies are going to win. I don't think this game is going to like. I don't see UNC winning this game by three points. Like I don't think that's in the cards. This is it's an ugly spread. I, I don't know. Five and a half is a really kind of ugly spread for this game, in my opinion. But, all right, go ahead, Sam. I'm done. Oh, are you sure? Positive. Yeah, I've been all over the place on this game today. I understand what people are saying about Virginia Tech, and you know all of the ways that the game script is going for Virginia Tech to have a big win at home. But I also understand that UNC has been recruiting at a level where they can just start to reload at some of those you know, wide receiver and running back. They've done well in the portal. They have veteran guys on defense now, whereas they got a lot of playing time last year. How much better they will be, I don't know. I think that is a huge question mark, and a lot of people are assuming that they will be phenomenal on defense. I don't see that happening. This game is 100% about who wins the first half. I'll tell you why. Under Mac Brown, so in the 2019-2020 season, UNC is 2-10 and 10 when tied or losing at halftime. 2-10. and 10. Mac Brown is a great recruiter. He is a great CEO. He is not an in-game coach. No one really on this UNC coaching roster is an in-game coach. They're not going to make adjustments. We saw it. Uh, in the overtime game of Virginia Tech, UNC just kept running the same plays over and over again in the overtime period, and Khalil Ladler sniffed it out over and over again. I really do think that Virginia Tech might be able to outcoach UNC during this game, which is crazy for me to say because I don't have a ton of faith in this Virginia Tech coaching staff, but I think if Virginia Tech can win the first half, and you're sitting at home and you're in a state where you can bet on Virginia college teams, I would hammer Virginia Tech if they're winning at halftime. I mean, I would hammer it if they're winning at halftime. That place is going to be insane. I think Virginia Tech can win the first half and end up winning this game. I also think it's very likely that Virginia Tech wins this game and UNC ends up having a better season than Virginia Tech. That's not. I'm not saying Virginia Tech is going to flat out you know, beat UNC in the standings and everything just because of this game. 
but it all sets up for Virginia Tech to win. I do think Virginia Tech will need a big special teams play. They'll need kind of an X-factor play that they're not expecting because I think mano mano without turnovers, without special teams play, I don't see Virginia Tech playing consistently enough through 60 minutes to keep UNC down. Uh, you know, Sam Howell's the guy who he can score touchdowns in a blink of an eye. He has that wonderful deep ball. They have an offense that is quick hitting and high tempo. I think Virginia Tech will need a big special teams play, some old-fashioned Beamer ball. And guys, UNC likes to pick on Chamari Connor. In 2019, they ate him alive. In 2020, he lasted about three plays before being taken out with the targeting. Uh, in those four or five wide receiver sets, do you think about just taking him off the field and putting in Dorian Strong or Armani Chapman as the other corner? Uh, I, I don't. They don't have Daz Newsom. That's the guy who got under his skin the most. Um, obviously, I just I think he can keep up with the guys they currently have, not last year. And I don't think North Carolina's got five skill position receivers that exactly. could beat Shamari Connor. Exactly. I mean, I just I just don't. And, and I'm with you. You know, Connor had a rough 2019 game last year. Like you said, lasted like a possession before getting ejected. But I just, I don't know. I don't see it. In my head, I'm seeing UNC's game plan being as simple as, all right, all right, Sam Howell, throw it to Marty Chapman. I guess he's number one this year. Throw number one. That's our, that's our guy. We're going to put our best guy. We're going to motion. We're going to get him on him. We're going to go at him because they don't want to go at Dorian Strong after what they're seeing last year. And I know Jermaine Waller didn't perform well in the 2020 game. He was obviously, you know, had a lot of soft tissue injuries. But if you take him out and you put somebody else in, I think that could throw him off enough where you're able to go one or two possessions with UNC being really out of sorts. It's something they could think about. It, Justin Hamilton, if you're listening to this, it's an idea. I'm just, I'm an ideas guy. You're the execution guy. Well, I guess the players are the execution guys, but I'm an ideas guy and I'm just throwing out ideas if you need anything. But yeah, I, I really like Virginia Tech five and a half. I really do. Now that I'm, I've talked myself into it. I'm, and I'm usually pretty pessimistic with Virginia Tech. I picked up against Tech a whole lot last year. Ed, we'll go to you. We have three Virginia Tech plus five and a halfs in a row. You're going to keep the train rolling. Yep, I'm going to double down. This is my lock of the week, Virginia Tech, to cover and win this game. Okay, I am for a variety shocked. Of wow. Okay, Ed. As, as, uh, as the week's going on, it just seems to it continually favor Virginia Tech. And, I mean, this could blow right up in my face, obviously, but the receiver ex- room for UNC that was already inexperienced is now further inexperienced. Things like that that just continue to happen. Uh, well, well I'd like to ask ground plays for them. I'm sorry to interrupt Ed, but I, I would like to ask how much has Bo Corrales being out impacted how you're thinking about this game? A pretty significant amount. Um, because I don't, I don't know. I think you can now focus a lot more on Josh Downs and in reality, focus a lot more on stopping the run. You know, the guys behind Bo Corrales are probably more talented than he is. Um, but in a game like this under the lights with the, you know, the atmosphere that's going to be, I think the experience kind of would outweigh the talent there uh, for the receiver room for them. Um, I mean, they, like you said, they have all the talent at the skill positions. That's for sure. But uh, game one under the lights like this, you know, I think that experience missing will be uh, bigger than, you know, his actual talent. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I like Virginia Tech in this one. I think I think Braxton Burmeister is able to do enough, on, especially on third down. I think they're going to utilize his leg less than quarterbacks pass under Fuente, but I think they'll it'll be much more situational on, you know, crucial third and three, third and four type plays 
rolling him out and giving him a chance to um, use, you know, what might be his best asset in his legs. Um, and then a couple of things I have written down as well. I think there's huge games from uh, Chamari Connor. I think he'll lead the team in tackles. Uh, I think he's going to have a really good game. I also really like Dorian Strong in this one as well. Um, that kid just seems to step up. And I, I think he'll be able to do that again this, this Friday. Um, and I've also got a Amari Barno strip sack on my little cheat sheet over here. Um, that dude's a monster. And I think he will start off what could be a very, very impressive season for himself uh, Friday night with a huge play that you talked about, Sam, that'll uh, give the Hokies a chance. And uh, I think the UNC lacking the skill position talent they had a year ago is going to put a dent in what was a very high-powered offense, at least for week one. Um, I think the Hokies offense is able to do just enough. And block of the week, Virginia Tech, baby, let's get it. I'm sure you guys listened to the the season, not not only the season preview, but the preview I was on with uh, the Suns for uh, this game in particular. Um, I picked the Hokies to win outright. I'm riding with them. A, c- a couple things here. Number one, North Carolina has surrendered 71 sacks over the past two seasons. Um, they gave up 34 of them last year. It's it's not good. North Carolina was seventh nationally in 2019 and then ninth in 2020 in percentage of pressures leading to sacks. So what does that mean? That means that one out of every four times that Sam Howell drops back to pass, he gets sacked. That's bad. They have a really bad pass-protecting offensive line. The most important matchup here, in my opinion, is Virginia Tech's front seven against North Carolina's offensive line. If Virginia Tech can consistently win rushing four and they can drop seven in coverage, they have an excellent chance to win this football game. This entire, this entire game comes down to defensive line's ability to pass rush and the ability of Dax Hollyfield and Alan Tisdale at linebacker. Um, it killed the Hokies a year ago. I mean, take the secondary COVID issues aside, like the front seven didn't play well. And it needs to be better here on Friday. Virginia Tech's four and one in season openers under Justin Fuente. Say what you will about the coaching staff. They advance scout really well for season openers. They just do. They flat out do. Two of Fuente's biggest wins are in season openers. Um, go to 2017 West Virginia game neutral site. 2018 on the road at Florida State. Two of the biggest ones of Fuente's tenure in season openers. They're not going to be afraid of North Carolina on Friday night. You look at Carolina, like you don't just replace 5,000 yards and like 40 or 50 touchdowns overnight. I just, a lot of things are pointing to Virginia Tech here. They need to get to Sam Howell though, because he can really turn the game in an instant. If it's close late, you know, you got to ride with Howell, but I think Tech pulls it off. I think they win this football game. Oh, boys. We're all on the Hokies, aren't we? This is not a good sign. Oh, we no. We flipped Derby, didn't we? I Yeah. Here's the thing. I have flipped today. I have flipped on not only the line here, but I'm picking the Hokies to win the game. And if you're keeping tabs on the Sons of Saturday website, there will be an article coming out, I believe, tomorrow uh, of the Sons of Saturday picking the scores and in that article, I picked UNC, but I'm officially rescinding that pick, even though it oh, will yeah. be online. I'm picking the Hokies to win this game. I'm not sure why. I, it's just a feeling, you know? And sometimes you just got to pick based on emotion. Um, I think the key to this game really can be, especially early on, I think can be actually the running game. 
Um, I think Tech and UNC are kind of opposite positions here um, with the run game. I mean, I guess they both lost NFL talent at running back, right? But they're kind of replacing it into kind of opposite methods, uh, whereas UNC is going to be relying very heavily on Ty Chandler, who I touched on uh, a couple weeks ago. But I do think that he is a very, very talented back who could potentially um, be an NFL caliber back. But what do they have behind him? Because you can't keep him on the field every play. That that just simply is not um, feasible. And can they find any sort of run game? Especially UNC was predicated on having that two-headed monster at running back. And they won't have that. Um, so how can they get run production from one guy? Or can they find guys behind Chandler? As for Tech, you lose Herbert. But then it's like, who do you replace him with? We have so many options. And I'm just going to pull the room here. I want everyone to answer this question. Who leads Virginia Tech in rushing on Friday? Holston. And you can't say Braxton Burmeister. If it, if it, let's put it this way. If it's Braxton Burmeister, we don't win the game. I'm agree. Sure. No, I agree. I, I totally agree. Yeah. What running back leads the team in rushing? Holston, and I think he reaches a century mark. I think he has like 105, 110 yards rushing. I'm going to go Jalen Holston, too. Yeah, I agree. He's Sean King because of one big play. Crown him. Oh, no, well, I like that. Not going to lie. Crown him, Mikey. Uh, well, you get my point. Even though most of y'all said Jalen Holston, Tech has a lot of uncertainty at that position. And it's like, can one guy or maybe two guys step up? I mean, there, there are just so many options. That room is full of, what, 11 guys? Can one of them do anything? Who knows? Um, I think that that will be the case. I think eventually Tech will find some production in the run game, and I think that that will open up the door for Burmeister to uh, make some plays and get the ball out to this very talented group of receivers he has. I mean, looking at Tech's too deep, I mean, sure, you have Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson and Caleb Smith who are all very experienced as the three receivers, but you look at that second unit, and it's Jaden Payute and Jalen Jones and Dwayne Lofton, and none of those dudes have played a game before, but all three of them are very talented. Um, and I think that's a lot to be excited about. And Kim Burmeister get them the ball Friday. I think touching on the over-under a little bit, because I do want to talk about how everyone is focused on it going under, I do think that the logic of that makes sense because both teams will probably look to run the ball and the offenses will both start, I think, fairly slowly, just kicking off the rust a little bit, um, especially for the quarterbacks. I think you could see this game being like a 10-7 halftime score. But the thing is, is these are two of the most explosive offenses, or they were two of the most explosive offenses in the ACC last year. So again, it could be a 10-7 halftime score. Then you blink and it's like 31-28 at the end of the third quarter. And suddenly that over is very much in play. And I do think the over hits. And I think the Hokies edge one out here, winning by, I'll say, a field goal. I like it. I'm nervous, but I like it. Guys, we're going to move into... We, I can't believe all six of us picked Virginia Tech. I can't either, man. I can't. But it does feel different. I mean, I've been... Are we homers? I don't yes. know. Well, we all graduate, but like, <laughs> I mean, duh, we're homers. But... I will say, like, this does feel different than the other times Tech has played top 10 teams. Like, no one's picking Tech to beat Clemson or Notre Dame the two <clears> times they played. You know, like... I think if it's literally any, uh, like, any other competitive ACC team, I'd be more worried for some reason. Like, Miami opener, obviously, I think we lose. I like, even, like, teams like NC State, 
hit like as an opening game still worry me more than this UNC game. And I don't know why. And I think it's because UNC is just critically overhyped. I don't know why. That's just yeah. how I feel. I think if it's like I'd be more worried if it was actually a less quote unquote talented team. Well, let's get into these prop bets. We could have a bit more conversation. I have three of them. Quick round robin. Shout it out when you have a feeling. First prop bet, Braxton Burmeister. Over or under 24 and a half passing attempts on the game. His high last year was 24 at Duke in a win. Under. He only completed nine of those, by the under. way. Under. Under. Yeah, under. That's just not his MO. Over. If we're going to win, it's got to be over. 20, 24 and a half is not a lot of pass attempts. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think they're, I, I mean, they, this team, I mean, trade turn the receivers, they keep harping on how good the pass this is the best passing game they've had in a, in a long time, probably since Gerard Evans. But people, just real quick, I'm going to sidetrack just for like 30 seconds. People say that the passing game was really good under Gerard Evans. Yeah, great quarterback. He could do, do the RPO. But our passing game was literally throwing lobs to Bucky Hodges and Isaiah Ford that year, and they would just come down with like 30-yard passes. So in reality, that passing game was not as good as people were, are making it out to be. I'm with Ed. I'm going to go with the over on this one. And I think as you look back between Evans and Josh Jackson and people kind of just skewed their reality and perception of what Corn wants to run on offense based off of how things kind of flowed with even Willis. And even then, Willis averaged a pretty good amount of pass attempts per game. It was mostly with Hendon Hooker. Um, I, I think that was more reflection of the quarterback rather than what he actually wanted to do overall. Um, this is a team that wants to throw the football. It wants to open up the lanes so they can run. And now that they have Burmeister who can only use his legs to extend passing lanes and extend passing plays, because he's pretty quick laterally. He's a pretty awesome athlete. I think that's what they're going to do. So, uh, give me 24 and a half, uh, over. So. I'm going to go with the over as well. I think there's going to be a bit different game plan than we've seen the last couple of years for Virginia tech offensively. And Virginia Tech ran about 68 plays a game last season. So saying just like 25 passing attempts, you're still very, very run-heavy offense. We'll get into our second one. It also has to do with Braxton Burmeister. Over under 220 total yards for Braxton Burmeister, both rushing and passing. Uh, Last year, the Hokies averaged about 200 yards passing per game with both uh, Hendon Hooker and Braxton Burmeister. Over. Yeah, I agree. That seems, over that seems like a low number. Yeah, with the production and the volume, I think that was because it was skewed more so because they were heavy on the run with Hendon Hooker running the football more often than not. So I'm just going to go in the opposite direction with the total attempts and the total rushes. They'll probably end up having an over. I'm actually going under here because I think Tech's going to have more success running the football with the running backs than a lot of people think. So I think Burmeister's rushing yards you know, accounting for this total. I mean, I, I think that Burmeister could be anywhere between 200 and 220 and like 240 passing yards, and he might not get to 40 or 50 rushing yards because I think Tech's going to have more success with their backs. Yeah, I'm going to go over. I'm going to go I'm going to go over because of the passing. I think he'll be roughly within the 225 to 250 range. I don't think he has a crazy game by any means. I do think they want to try to run the ball, but I could see this team having about like four to 450 yards of offense, I think is about in the range that UNC tends to give up to competent offenses. Our third prop bet, we talked about this one a bit, needing a little bit of Beamer ball in this game. The Virginia Tech defense over or under one and a half turnovers forced. 
against UNC. Virginia Tech averaged about one interception per game last year. Over. One pick, one fumble. I'm going to say over two. I, th- I think if it's under, Virginia Tech might have a hard time winning this game. I think the guys steal possession or two. Um, I think they might have to steal two possessions, actually, to win outright. So I'm going to go over. Yeah, I'll go over. I think I don't think I don't think either. I'll say two turnovers. I don't think either of them comes from a Sam Howell interception. I just don't think that that's a wise thing to ever assume just because he's a I mean, he is a good quarterback, he's but pretty I think darn good. W- yeah. Uh, when you look at offenses that are still, uh, you know, kind of learning how to play to, together for the first time, there can be a lot of uh, kinks to work out. And and I think you could see like maybe a, a fumbled handoff or a, on a jet sweep or something like that. Um, and maybe one where Virginia Tech literally is gifted the ball. And then just a couple of those just sloppy kind of plays uh, where UNC just kind of kicks themselves in the face and gives Tech the ball for free a couple times. I'm going to go over one and a half. I think I think a, I think a muffed uh, punt is in play here. for uh, Muffed punt? Yeah, I'm, I'm liking that, especially going deep or punting like on the on our on their like 40 or 50, trying to put them on like the 10 yard line. They like back, it. Back, to, back to the student section. I could, I could see over in this one. I think you'll have one kind of classic face mask hits the ball on a form tackle and you get a fumble. And then I think you're going to have one miscommunication turnover where a receiver goes one way, quarterback goes the other, or it's supposed to be a read option and the quarterback tries to pull it, running back tries to take it, something like that. But uh, I think that'll be a huge key to the game for Virginia Tech is forcing a turnover or two at an opportune time. I'm going to stick with the under on this one just because I just don't see Sam Howell throwing a lot of interceptions. I think he gets pressured. He takes sacks, but he doesn't throw picks. That's kind of his modus. Uh, I could see, and I'll double down with this one. I believe Ed put it out there as the strip sack. I think the inevitable Saxburg strip sack fumble return for a touchdown, I think is the big play. Um, if I had to bet on that one, that's the most likely outcome. I think if we're going to do it. So um, I'll, I'll go under on the turnovers, but one of those is a touchdown. Ricky Walker special, baby. Yep. Jordan Williams in the end zone? Question mark. Lock it in. That would I, make me so happy. With this line, I just see them swarming a lot more around the football, like you said, uh, with a little bit more of a nasty. Uh, to me, I said I just invented a word there: nastiness and tenacity. Uh, nasty. Well, so we'll work on that. There you go. But um, I, I could just see this defense. Um, just playing with a lot more emotion and swarming the football. So if a fumble does good on the field, I have a, a, a pretty good feeling about them being able to put it in the end zone. Well, that's enough Virginia Tech talk because I think we're all nervous enough here. So let's get into some other games around the country that we like real quick, rapid fire. Anything you like this weekend? What's on your ticket? Anything sticking out to you? Louisiana plus eight and a half. In Austin versus Texas, Sark's first game. He's probably going to regret having that one as his first one out of the gate. If you look back, this is the type of game that Billy Napier has kind of put his team in, like performing at a high level against. He's got them rolling. Um, they're one of, like I mentioned it last week, they're one of the top three Sun Belt teams, but they're also a solid top 25 team. And uh, while I do think Sark might be good in Texas, I just don't think he's going to be good. Uh, they might win the game, but just give me uh, Louisiana to cover. 
Didn't Tom Herman lose his first game as a head coach to Maryland? Yes. Yeah. On the road, I believe. Yeah, I could see that happening. I actually that that's one of my picks too. Um, is is Louisiana plus eight and a half? That's on the card this weekend. Uh, another one for me: Notre Dame minus seven and a half in Tallahassee. Florida State ain't that good, fellas. Come on. Uh. Well, yeah. Fight I'm back, going, Chris. Fight back. Yeah, I'm going Louisiana plus eight and a half too. I really like that. Uh, I mean, they beat Iowa State last year, and I think that team is better than this Texas team. And Louisiana Lafayette, I believe, is returning high double-digit starters, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, they're. I think they have a solid chance of actually just straight up winning that game. Uh, I like Ohio State put minus 13.5 against uh, Minnesota. I think Minnesota's kind of stinks. They were kind of not that good last year. I think the boat's sinking a little bit. Uh, Ohio State, new quarterback, but, I mean, they're going to reload. So, um, I like Ohio State to win by two scores there. And then, uh, yeah, I got Ohio plus 1.5 because I don't think Syracuse is going to win a meaningful football game this year. We did get a request for the Ohio University yeah, we Syracuse did. game. We did. Uh, two, two that I have, we've talked about it offline a bunch, but Boise State, I have them money line against Central Florida. It is a five-point uh, spread right now. Boise State's returning everybody. Andy Avalos is going to do a phenomenal job there as head coach. Hank Bachmeyer is healthy. Khalil Shakur is yes. healthy. They're playing for, baby. They're playing for their dearly beloved T Dog Cowboy Cole. Uh, they're going to go there, and I think they're going to beat UCF. Gus Malzahn is is not going to be ready. Uh, I think at the start of this season, he's replacing a lot on that team as well. And then we've talked about NC State again. They're going to play for Tuffy. <laughs> they're going to play for Tuffy. It's Tuffy the Third's first game. They play South Florida. South Florida sucks. Their uniforms are ugly. Their football players are bad. 18 and a half. North Carolina State's going to win this game by four touchdowns pretty easily on Thursday night. Ed, like, you don't get uh, to bet that one because you're not an NC State fan. Yeah, that's right. Wolfpack only here. Uh, I like Charlotte plus six and a half against Duke. I think Duke's really, really bad. Like, really bad. Uh, Charlotte's also probably not good, but I think Will Healy at least has the program trending in the right direction. And I don't know. They're playing at home again. Duke stinks. I think that they don't really will. They won't really get up for this game. I might even like Charlotte uh, with the plus one ninety five money line. And no, it's not because I live in the city of Charlotte. Club lit, baby. Put it out there for the Real end quick. half of the weekend. Monday night, Louisville versus Ole Miss over. 75 and a half points. What better way to cap off a college football opening weekend in week one than just cheering on touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. There's not going to be a lot of defense in that game. Ole Miss Louisville. Um, I think it's 75 and a half points. And I'd also probably take Louisville on the plus 10 and a half uh, spread on that one as well, just because I feel like it's going to be back and forth touchdowns all night. I think you could see a hundred in that game and I'm not kidding. I, I could very well see like a 57 to 50 game in that. Anything else, boys? What else on the guard? We got a bunch other, but maybe not ones that you want to put out there on the internet. I'm putting Ohio. Out there. One more I'm out putting there. Ohio. Don't go ahead, Ed. I'll just throw one more out there. I like um, Wisconsin minus five and a half at Penn State or uh, against Penn State. Um, I think Wisconsin's pretty good. I think they're the only real threat in the Big Ten to Ohio State. And, I don't know. Penn State was pretty iffy last year. I'm going to go with Wisconsin uh, by a touchdown in that one. But other than that, 
the lock of the week, Virginia Tech. Man, oh man. I'm actually shocked that you picked Tech. I, I thought you were going to go UNC the whole way. All right. Well, article will be up on SunSaturday.com. Thanks so much to Irby for taking care of that. We'll have graphics on there, scoreboard on there, everything you need to know for next week, games that we're going to look at next week as well. And guys, please hit us up on Twitter with something that you want us to look at for week two. Any game you want, any line you find, hit us with something, surprise us with something. We will be back to our original published date on Thursday of next week. Guys, thank you so much. Week one, we are here. It's going to be a fun one, guys. See ya. Go Hokies. See y'all in Blacksburg.